I'm still I'm ready to make my case that uh, LeBron should have uh, gone to the NFL still, but whatever. We'll get maybe for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, November second. The Washington Wizards, our hometown Washington Wizards, are five and two, tied for the third best record in the Eastern Conference. And uh, currently, the Boston Celtics are in turmoil. Marcus Smart taking shots at his star players next to him, and uh, I don't know. You must be feeling pretty good. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm feeling pretty good about the Wizards, and I love seeing Boston go down. I mean, and to add a, you know, a little icing on the cake, Kevin Durant just kicked the shit out of Kelly Olenek this past weekend. And as a scorned Wizards fan, I always like to see Kelly Olenek take a little beating because he's a dirty player, but more importantly, he he blew the Wizards' only chance of – you know, having the honor of getting destroyed by LeBron in the conference finals and cost LeBron a chip too. Yeah. He ripped Kelly Olenek's arm or Kevin Love's arm out of his socket. And uh, so I think that constitutes as being a dirty player. But yeah, JR like punched, punched him in the face for that. <laughs> it was fantastic. Kelly Olenek just getting beat up in a like non Steven Adams way. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, I'm feeling, feeling pretty good about the wizards. Um, maybe uh, Yunkin could lose and I would feel even better about the state of the DMV and uh, <laughs> Virginia in general. Um, yeah, even in a down year for Kevin Durant or what seems to be, you know, maybe a small step down from where he was last year so far, uh, the DMV is still thriving, uh, at least in most cases. <laughs> Katie should have gone to Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they paid him well at uh, Texas. Yeah. So, so do you, do you actually, are you interested at all in the Celtics this year? Do you, did you think that they were going to be good? Did you think that they were, or are you surprised by this bad start that they're having? I'm not surprised by this bad start. No, but the three players that I like most on the Celtics are like amongst my favorite players in the league, even though I don't have a particular rooting interest. I love Tatum. I love Brown and like time Lord is one of my favorite players to watch when he's cooking in the entire league. So like, it makes me a little bit sad, even though I don't like really care that much. I kind of wish they were better. I want to see, you know, (laughs) Jalen Brown seems like an incredibly smart and likable guy. And Jason Tatum is, incredible at basketball and I want to see them cook a little bit but no it's going to take a couple years and that's fine right (laughs) yeah I think it's fine I think that the Celtics over the past few years since Tatum and Brown have been their core and you know established as those the guys were building around remind me a little bit of the Clippers uh just built around two wings who are very switchable very big uh, but offensively are just ISO scorers. That's what their game revolves around. And that is very good, but it's sort of weird to build an offense around it. And I don't know, the Clippers kind of went for five wings, switch everything, um, play this ISO ball, shoot a ton of threes, uh, just be jump shooting heavy. And the Celtics have tried to toe the line between being that kind of switchable, you know, Horford, Rob Williams, Marcus Smart are all very switchable players, but they've also got, you know, Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson and small guards who aren't exceptionally switchable. Uh, Their five position is just like one of the oddest in the league where they're just like, it's by committee. It's 
all guys who I like, but I would not trust any of them to play more than 20 minutes a game between like Grant Williams and Rob Williams say. and Grant Williams Horford. Day, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, a day is not today. It's a very odd team. Do you, do you think that offensively they'll need a point guard with the Brown Tatum uh, duo, or do you think that they can, you know, sort of emulate what the Clippers have done the past two years where they just get five wings and run Brown slash Tatum as the de facto point guard and don't run any pick and roll at all. But I mean, you know, the reason why the Clippers haven't made it as far as they should have, there are a bunch of them and we don't have to go into that, but nevertheless, when they've run into worse competition with a great primary ball handler who can kind of be heliocentric in Luka Doncic and the Mavericks twice in the past two years, like they've struggled against a team that they should have handled pretty easily. And I don't think that bodes well for, having that style of team where you don't have a primary creator. And yeah, I think you're going to need one eventually. Like I, it's, it's so frustrating to watch. And I'm sure it's frustrating as you can see from Marcus Smart's little tirade here that it must be a little bit frustrating to play with too. Like, I mean, that's not uh historically how great basketball teams are built. <laughs> yeah. I, I tend to agree. I mean, I'm pretty high on the Clippers and I think that what they did work, for the most part because of you know the ancillary passing they got from guys like Batum and Reggie Jackson and Rondo and I I don't know just I think it kind of worked but I probably agree that when you go against an elite offense I don't know if they can hang uh, consistently enough just playing iso ball and asking their two stars to score at that at the level that a you know elite heliocentric guy can create offense yeah, and I mean, Jalen Brown's improved every year. Jason Tatum is already one of the best players in the league. You probably have him in like the top 15 or whatever you want to have him. And they're incredible ISO scorers, but Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are also two of the 10 best wing defenders in the league. So you're missing out on a lot too, if you're trying to emulate that. And I don't know, the, the third banana is not there and uh, the Celtics aren't going to be there for a while. How frustrating is it too, that like, you know, they probably could have had Harden and probably could have had Kawhi Leonard over the past couple of years. If they'd just been a little bit more willing to part with Jalen Brown, it's uh, I don't know. I don't know. There has to be a reckoning at some point in Boston, I think. Well, they're, they're three years away <laughs> perpetually, uh, which is eventually you won't be able to say that about them. Eventually Brown and Tatum will be old enough where you're like, all right, this has to be the time, but you know, that, that front office has been able to reasonably explain that their, their window to compete is still, you know, has at least three years, has at least four years still in it because of, you know, they've got both those guys under contract, you know, Brown for three years, Tatum for five. Uh, so that's, that would be the argument is that they're willing to take a less talented Jalen Brown uh for three years rather than you know Harden or Kawhi for five if they didn't think that one of those players would send them over the edge but uh, at some point the human side is going to come into it and all these players aren't going to enjoy losing all this time and then you can't keep the same team that's just been losing and you're gonna have to make a big swing a big trade I don't know if it's Beal joining up with Tatum or or what but Hey, Jalen Brown would look great in the red and blue. That's all I'm going to say. I would love to have Jalen Brown on the Wizards, personally. I think that would be, you know, a lot of fun. And and he could maybe just uh, prepare his post-career lobbying uh, <laughs> lifestyle, you know, living in D.C. You, could, you know, 
start start checking out start starting to know senators and and <laughs> be ready for his political career once that comes well um, welcome to the high post <laughs> welcome to the high post more boston talk than i expected but hopefully uh, all of our loyal listeners haven't tuned out yet before we actually get to the meat of the conversation this early in the season <laughs> There's there's only so much meat to be to be had this early in the season. It's been kind of a weird start, but but also like more wide open than ever. Even last year, yes, like it was like sort of the Lakers and the Nets hurtling toward each other for most of the season, which obviously we didn't get. But this year, I don't think anything seems to make much sense. Like I don't know, the best team in the league even right now, whether you want to call it Utah or Miami, doesn't really feel like a super team in any sense of the word. And uh, the would-be super teams like Milwaukee and LA and Brooklyn have had their fair of struggles. So I, I don't really know what to think. And I think it makes it more exciting to talk about. So I'm excited to dig in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's reminds me a little bit of what the NFL season right now looks like, where all of the best teams have some weird losses that stick out to you that make you question you know, how good they are. And then especially in the AFC, there's just a bunch of teams who are good, but not great, but not bad. And they're stuck right in the middle. And it's going to be interesting to see if any of those teams can separate themselves from the pack. And I think the same thing stands for the NBA where can, can any of these middling teams, these teams that have disappointed or that look good, but not, you know, spectacular, you know, someone like the Grizzlies, can they separate themselves and jump into a higher echelon? We're like, oh, this is conference finals. This is a finals contender or favorite. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, there's a lot of underperforming too. We look at somebody like Denver where a leap from Michael Porter Jr. might have meant taking a leap from being a fringe contender to an actual contender this year. Uh, or, you know, look at somewhere like Phoenix where a leap from DeAndre Ayton or another leap from Devin Booker might have done the same thing. And we just haven't really seen those yet so i'm just as confused as you are but uh yeah you want to dig into something first well what did you have on your uh, little docket uh-huh. um so let's see i think the place to this the place i did want to start out was are there any great teams and i think the team that's playing the best right now and that the team that i think i came into the season high on but i was I was a little worried about their offensive ceiling, uh, but I think, and their depth, but I think that they're really good and make a lot of sense together is the heat. Mm -hmm. And I love watching them play. I've loved, you know, watching them play since the bubble run. Um, Last year, I thought that they were going to give Milwaukee a much tougher time than they did. You know, they played a really tough game one, lost it, you know, either in overtime or by two points, you know, very close and then ended up getting swept, you know, blown out the rest of the three games. And that was pretty shocking to me. I know that they were, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I'm Milwaukee was on a mission last year and everything, but I, I don't think that that series properly uh, showed how good Miami was. I think that I think that they required a point guard, someone to organize the offense a little bit more. You know, it's similar to what we were talking about with the, with the Celtics, right? Where if you have a, a primary, who's not like a heliocentric guy, like Jimmy Butler is when you asked him to go take 25 shots a game in the buck series, he, that's not the type of player he is. It's not the type of player he wants to be. He wants to be more, 
you know, 17 shots a game, uh, but very efficient. Uh, and, and how do you build a team around a primary who's not an elite passer, who's not a heliocentric guy? And the answer, if you can't get a heliocentric guy, is to get a Kyle Lowry type, who's just like organizing the offense, uh, doing, doing all the little stuff, finding the, the low-hanging fruit. You know, if there's a leak out, if there's an open pass, you know, for a good shot, he finds that. And I think that the Heat make a ton of sense. And especially, the, I mean, the, only, the reason I'm talking about the offense is because the defense is obvious. And the defense is, is going to be incredible. And on that end, uh, they have the personnel to match up with a Brooklyn or with a Milwaukee that not a lot of other teams do. I mainly think it's about the Heat's offense. How many, you know, three-pointers can they get out of Hero and Robinson and Lowry? Um, Markeith, like those kind of guys. Yeah. Uh, how, how good can their offense be? Because right now it's fourth in the league. Um, if that's the case for the whole season, they're going to be fucking fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and that's but the thing. Like, I mean, it's not like this came out of nowhere. Like it looks like Hero and Bam have taken pretty significant jumps. And that's the thing. Everybody expecting Tyler Hero after the bubble to just magically become a better player when he had, what, 60 days in between his rookie season and his uh, second season. Yeah. I mean, it's just not realistic. Now he got his first real offseason of his NBA career. And he's back looking like a significantly improved player. And Bam has looked better offensively every season. Last year, we saw him stretch it out a little bit, get a lot better at mid-range games, get a lot better off the dribble. And this year, it's just looks like an even better passer and an even better defender. And it's just awesome to watch these young guys develop. And yeah, the Heat look like as good as anybody in the league. It's incredible to watch. I, I can't wait. Their defense is going to be gnarly no matter who they play. And there's so many like matchups, I think, which is also fascinating to think about in like a seven game series. Obviously, Milwaukee, we've seen it play out twice over the past two years or year, <laughs> but two seasons. And uh, similarly, the Lakers, the Nets, I think would be fascinating matchups to watch how these sort of yeah. big physical teams match up against each other. I I'm so excited to see how this team sort of progresses and gets even better together because, man, that Lowry signing is looking just killer. Right. I think the Lowry signing fit for just so many reasons it fits for cultural reasons I think you know heat culture that sort of idea getting in shape playing smart you know not making mistakes not doing dumb stuff being willing to sacrifice your body being willing to switch doing all those things it makes sense but then also from a basketball perspective I mean you mentioned the hero thing I thought hero last year was just like let's see what he can do. We'll give him the reins. We'll give him the point guard job and we'll see how well he can do. And he did all right. He was able to handle the ball. He was able to run pick and roll, but his efficiency fell off a cliff. His turnovers skyrocketed. It was clearly stretching out the capabilities of, you know, how high you can scale him up uh, as a pick and roll playmaker. And this year he's, in his more natural off ball role where he's really smart. Uh, the heat are really smart. They find you on time when you're off ball, they can run a lot of the same sets as they do for Robinson, you know, and then you add in heroes ability to actually dribble the ball. Um, I, I think that he, he slides very naturally into this role and, and it just makes me, so with the heat, I'm just curious. I, most people had the nets and the bucks in a tier of their own, in the East going into the season. And I probably did as well, even though I was really high on the heat and their talent. 
were do the heat deserve to be in that tier do you think i think it depends if Kyrie's healthy or you know getting the shot or not i i don't know (laughs) this is the version of the nets we're getting which you know i highly doubt they're about as all in as any team could be and almost feels like they're the uh the rams or something if there's a move to be made or even like you know think back to the Cavs before dan gilbert decided uh he didn't care about that anymore but they're going to do whatever it takes to improve their roster. I'm sure even if it includes a Kyrie trade, which I don't think is completely off the table. Um, sure. But if right. Kyrie's not here, I, I think they're as good as both of those teams. Yeah. And maybe as constructed a little bit better than the bucks. So yeah, I, I think the heater is good as anybody. And I don't know, we'll get into this later, but I, I think I, as of now would be slotting them in as my pick to make the finals. I don't know if I slot him in as my pick to make the finals, but I don't hate it. I mean, I don't, I, I think that I would give them a very decent shot against the Nets or the Bucks in the playoffs. I, Nets I think that I was look so ugly, man. Yeah. I, the Nets defense looks terrible. Their offense doesn't look that dyna- particularly dynamic or great. Um, the biggest thing with the heat is their depth to me, but that matters less in the playoffs, although it still matters And their, their bench is, you know, they might want to upgrade the Markeith Morris spot. The Dwayne Dedman backup center has been good, but it's, you know, how much can you really get out of that? Especially in a 82 game season. Um, I, I don't know. It's, and then, they have this weird wild card of Oladipo coming back at some point in the season. Uh, you know, it's that one's interesting to me just because it could not matter at all. And if it doesn't matter at all, then they're still a really good team or it could make a huge difference and it could give them, you know, a six man spark off the bench or, you know, someone to start in that PJ Tucker role if they're looking for a little bit more offense uh, and then bring in Ty- Hero off the bench as the sixth man still and keep him in that role. Uh, I I'm I like Oladipo <laughs> as a person, and I think he's – I enjoy his style as a player, the physicality and the herky-jerkiness and the competitiveness and just the balls of some of the shots he's willing to take. Uh, and I think it would be really cool if – you know, if, if he comes back and he looks good, you know, that's a high upside, no real downside play for the Heat. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the other thing I'd say, a final sort of thought is Duncan Robinson isn't playing all that well and is a starter for this team. Like, I'm sure a lot of it is uh, he took a well-deserved summer off of his usual hard work ethic that has got him from being a, you know, unrecognized college player to where he is now. And, you know, he got paid a shit ton of money and get, I wouldn't be hitting the gym at all this past summer either, but you know, he's playing kind of like shit so far. And we know we can play better than that. And the offense is still cooking. I mean, this team doesn't have anybody shooting 40% from three right now. Like I, I don't know. I think there's another level that they can reach and, you know, their third best player uh, has only played seven games with this team. It's, it's, really really exciting to think about what this possibly could be and i can't wait to see where it goes yeah i mean the hornets were our four second in offensive rating in the league right now and the heat had them in the 70s in the fourth quarter of the game they played this past weekend i mean if you are a young team if you're undisciplined uh if you're a little loose with the ball 
the Heat are gonna they're gonna rip it from you. They're not gonna let you score. They're gonna beat you up. Uh, you know, they are grown men on that team, and it is you know I enjoy I enjoy bullying in that sense. I do like the bullying a little bit. So that has been cool. As long as you stay away from my boy Lamelo, which he ended up pretty unscathed from that hole. <laughs> yeah, actually, no, he played like shit during that game, didn't he? <laughs> he didn't. He didn't play great. But do you, if we do want to pivot into some players that I am interested in, are they taking a leap? How much do you trust this leap that they're taking? You know, Let's I think like. Lamelo and Jaw are guys we expected to take the leap. I don't think that you know, like it's incredible to watch them do what they're doing. And Jaw leading the league in scoring is insane. That is not something I necessarily saw coming. Although after seeing, you know, I always thought that his usage could be scaled up. Uh, and then especially watching what he did in the playoffs against Gobert, you know, as a non-shooting guard, being able to run pick and roll at Gobert that often and be that efficient uh, scoring. I, I was like, if he wants to do that in the regular season, uh, he could, and he could average 30. And so I'm not shocked by that. So some smaller guys that are making uh, a little bit of leaps this season, uh, starting off with Lomelo's teammate, Miles Bridges, who yep. did not get a contract extension this summer, despite being eligible. He was in that eight in draft class. Um, seems, paid, like, seems like a guy who is uh, – deserve who wants some big contract uh rich paul's his agent he was offered 40 million four years 40 million million apparently which is puny uh compared to i mean what he looks like now uh sort of been typecasted as as this weird tweenery kind of player who's can play three through maybe five three through four and a half um just you know because of his balance you know you can maybe and his strength you can maybe put him at these bigger positions but he's mainly just a three with a okay shot and some some funky you know reads the court well what what, what are your thoughts on bridges start of the season i mean if the shooting continues at this pace i think it's legit and he's going to make a shit ton of money i mean that's still yet to be seen but i i mean you mentioned all of those things. He's also a really, really good rebounder for his size and a great rebounder for a guy who mostly plays the three position and uh, fits really well next to LaMelo Ball because he can fucking catch any lob that you put anywhere near the rim. So I, I think it's a good fit, and I think the guy is probably going to get his money if uh, Charlotte's willing to match the undoubtedly big contract that is going to be out there for him. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but I think they probably would be wise to because – I don't know, man. That seems like a pretty nasty core to build around, even though maybe it looks like they didn't exactly knock their pick out of the park this year. We haven't seen much of James Book Knight, but that is not a uh, rousing endorsement. <laughs> no, and, you know, he, Miles Bridges does have the catch radius of prime Calvin Johnson, which is awesome to, to see play with LaMelo. But Book Knight, we'll see. I wasn't, you know, it... I was more wanting to see the Hornets go in a defensive oriented uh, position. I thought that their offense would be fine, you know, with LaMelo, they, they're going to have a good offense no matter what. I'd rather see them try and, you know, figure out the front court, figure out defense, you know, what kind of core do they want to build uh, when they compete for championships. But if you're raising the, if book Knight is someone who can raise that offensive ceiling and he was a, 
you know, I think the most impressive thing for me with him is how good of a finisher he is at his size and using his strength and craft uh, to score at the rim. So, you know, who knows if he, if he is really that good of a scorer, it, it could still work out. Uh, on the Bridges thing, you were mentioning the shooting uh, from three, and it's really not the percentages that have uh, been great this year. I mean, he was – so he's his rookie year, he was 32.5% from three. Second year, 33% from three. Last year, he was 40%. And then this year, he's dropped to 34.4%. So it's, the high, it's his second highest percentage from three, but it's still 6% lower than he was last year. The thing the is increased like pretty yes. significantly. The thing is he's, he was 4.4 attempts per game last year and 7.6 this year. I mean, those off the dribble numbers, if he can keep that around 35%, you know, maybe even a little bit higher, his ability to get into him with his athleticism is so, I mean, it looks so easy for him to generate that shot. And, you know, if, if he keeps on going like this and, you know, with his explosion towards the rim makes teams guard him out, Right. far and you know turns into a guy who has counters he can hit a step back but then also you know blow by you if yeah. you jump the step back and that is an interesting interesting player and Lamella was also someone who has jumped up his uh volume from three this season I don't know if maybe those both of those numbers go down now that Rozier is back and he'll be able to shoot some more threes and take some of that workload but ultimately I think I would rather Charlotte see what they have in LaMelo and Bridges taking a bunch of off the dribble threes and see if, you know, this offense maintains and slip Rozier into a more secondary tertiary role. Right. Because I mean, you know, the Rozier of three years ago when he was literally one of the worst defenders in the league. And if you're not having him shoot kind of doesn't have much of a value to any team in the league. He's now become sort of an average defender for his position and especially for his size and is a better passer and a much better ball handler. You know, if you want to decrease his shots, it's not going to make him useless on your team. And if you wanted to maybe even trade him at the trade deadline, I don't think that's the worst idea either. I, I completely agree. I, I think they kind of got a role with the youth that they have and boy, do they have a lot of it. I, I'm so excited. <laughs> I think that they're going to be a playoff team. I, I don't even think they're going to end up in the play-in if I had to predict it right now. I really? That, so top six? I think so, yeah. I, I think that five or six spot seems pretty reasonable. They've got really impressive wins and have hung tight with really good teams so far. So I, I, I think so, yeah. I would still put them in the play-in spots. I think seven anywhere from seven to ten. Uh, I can see them slipping down there. I just think that their offense still goes through periods of disorganization where LaMelo gets a little loose with the ball. He takes his shot selection, still takes some, you know, early in the shot clock pull-ups or early in the shot clock floaters that don't drop and then let the other team get out in transition. And then I just think their front court play, I mean, center, people say center is uh, the least important position, but I think it's, still either the first or second most it's probably the second behind primary ball handler but i think it's the second most important position it's just that teams have been able to find you know you only need certain things done certain skills certain jobs done by the center and teams have been able to find those skills at relatively low prices which is why the center market has has decreased a little bit in recent years but man i just don't know how much like mason plumley you can be thrown out there in the year of our Lord 2021 and you know a full a full year of it it's probably a downgrade from Zeller 
um it's i i don't know i don't know and and man shout out the blazers and the hornets who are just like operating by the same uh like motto as jerry colangelo and usa basketball which is like if you can't find a plumley, then just get a Zeller. <laughs> it's been like Duke and Coach K and USA Basketball. That's how they operate. And hey, I mean, I know what you mean. No, no real pure big on this team is tough uh, outside of Mason Plumley. But you know, once the JT Thor and Kai Jones uh, revolutions get unleashed, that's all gonna change. So don't well, worry. Just I would, I would love to see Kai Jones be a successful <laughs> NBA player. You know, Nick Richards, I don't know how much I believe in that one, but Kai Jones' athleticism, it would be a lot of fun. I don't know if he's going to anchor a defense, though. And get some Vernon Carey out there, or is that scratching the bottom of the barrel too much? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think I think when you're starting Miles Plumley with playoff hopes, you're already scratching the bottom of the barrel a little <laughs> bit. No shade, but, like, you know. <laughs> Maybe I think, yeah. Once once Plumley got his triple double, he was able to relax and and chill out a little bit. The triple double watch ended. He's able to just live a normal life. Oh man! All right. So the next player that has kind of broken out this year that I'm curious to see how real you think it is and just what this means for this team going forward. It is it is the team who's next three years may be the most difficult in the league to project, you know, uh, the San Antonio Spurs and DeJounte Murray. Murray is averaging, I believe, 18, eight and eight this year with two steals a game, um, 37% from three, but still only 48% true shooting percentage, which is pretty difficult to do. You know, he's a, he's got a fair mid-range game, and he's all right from three, his finishing at the rim is pretty uh, poor for what you'd want from a lead guard. What, what do you think about DeJounte Murray? Do you think this, what teams do you think should be trying to trade for him? Uh, if, if you think that there are teams, contending teams that should try to trade for him? And like, what does the direction of the Spurs look like just building their team out of, like all young guys who were like picked between 10th and 20th in the draft, you know, no great prospects, just all okay prospects, middling guys that they haven't missed on any, but no. they're none of them are stars. And yeah, that's the thing. Like maybe Devin Vassell could be, I'm not totally, I don't think the ship has sailed on that, but everybody else is kind of locked into what their role is going to be. I think Keldon um, maybe. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I don't know. Keldon, Keldon, I think, has a little bit of a – he's got a ceiling to him. But you're right. Like, I mean, DeJounte, I, I love Jakob Pertl. I think he's one of the best <laughs> defensive bigs in the league. But uh, he's got – it's just they don't – No offensive game. He would be the guy to go to Charlotte because all they need is defense and no offense. And his, his offensive game is just – he can't shoot. <laughs> but that's the thing. But he's I a mean, good passer, good passer. Like, obviously, RC and Pop have incredible eyes for talent. I would just love to see them stockpile draft assets and, you know, build off a great team to send to Becky Hammond into the into the future. But, uh, 
I just don't really know where you go from here. I really don't like there really isn't a path for them to get a star. And I just, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I would be on the side to answer your question of trading everybody that they can trade and tanking, but obviously that doesn't really seem like something pop wants to do. So I don't know where that leaves you. And maybe he should have taken the Clippers job is what I would say. That's, that is a take and I don't disagree with it. You know, the Clippers, they got Ty Lue. It didn't work out terribly, but I think I, might have, might should have uh, taken that job too. Well, I don't know what Popovich and Kawhi's relationship at this point is, uh, how serious <laughs> either of them would have wanted to work with each other, uh, you know, after how it ended. And, and your point on, you know, the Spurs not seeming to be the type to want to trade all of their good players for future assets and just tank and bottom out and see if they can get a superstar uh, makes sense because, man, that Kawhi Leonard trade where they traded, you know, Kawhi Leonard, you know, the last time he had played, he was third in MVP voting uh, for DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl, and they gave Danny Green too. You know, that's the trade of a team that just wants to stay somewhat competitive. They want to win. They're, they're not going to bottom out They They want to win games. And, and, and that makes me have had the Lakers all that's, that's the worst part of it. Right. And that makes me think that if they do trade any of their, you know, guys who are good, it'd probably be for a good player. It would not be for picks. It wouldn't be for a young up and comer, a prospect. It would be, well, what are your thoughts on the potential Ben Simmons for DeJounte and Derek White trade? Because I think it makes sense for the Sixers, maybe throw in something else, but I think DeJounte and Derek White around this current Sixers core is pretty good. Um, I it's think that team is defense, fantastic yeah. <laughs> defensively. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just imagining the havoc that DeJounte, Derek White, and Matisse could all wreck on a team at the same time on the perimeter while Embiid uh, ensures the paint is a no-fly zone. But I don't know why they would trade for Ben Simmons other than the fact that Pop is like, eh, he's good. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I want the challenge. I want to see what I can do with him. I want the team to, you know, have a little bit of a talent boost to see if we can reach the playoffs if they, you know, miss out as the – 10th or 11th seed in consecutive uh, right. seasons. See if Chip England can maybe uh, fix the jumper, even though. <laughs> oh, man, that would be, that would be a, a brutal way to be sent into retirement. Just being like, Oh, I don't have it anymore. I can't, I just can't do it. <laughs> you <laughs> he finally met his match. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh my God. But no, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. For the I, I think that, Although I agree, it would be pretty nasty to see that on the Sixers. I think Maury's going to wait out for a better deal. And frankly, I think he's eventually going to get one. So I think, I think if he's really waiting to willing to wait out four years, he will get a better deal. If he's, <laughs> if he's not, if, if he's confined to this season only, I think there's a chance that there's not a better deal on the table this season for Maury. Um, maybe next off season, maybe the year after that, I, I think if you, you know, bring it out all four years, if you wait this out, then he would get, you know, maybe a, a lead guard type of player. That's clearly the person he's looking for, but 
I think that a Murray White right. combo might be the best he could get this year. Yeah, especially since it seems like there is one player that he's really waiting for. And even though their team is really shitty this year, I don't think Portland has much interest in dealing Damian Lillard. So if that isn't going to happen, I really don't know what the best alternative is for. <laughs> well, Portland should have interest in trading CJ McCollum. I mean, even if they're not willing to tank, I think it's pretty, pretty clear that that is your best avenue for upgrading the team uh, and getting a little bit more of the defense and versatility that they need. Because last night they gave up a shit ton of points to the Sixers without, with, with their full lineup in, completely healthy, and the Sixers had no Embiid, no Tobias Harris, no Ben Simmons. You know, about 85% of their cap space was <laughs> of, of the contracts taking up their cap space were not playing. And the, the Sixers still beat them because of their poorest defense. Um, not, not a good look. Not a good look. The question would be, who, who, wants, <laughs> who wants C.J. McCollum? I think a lot of teams want C.J. McCollum. I was, whether or not teams have the stuff to get him is a different question, but I think, you know, he's, he's a well-respected guy throughout the league. He's, you know, well-spoken. He's got the, he's the new president of the players association, which I think indicates a lot of trust and support amongst players around the league. I think if you look at contenders, um, like the Lakers would love him. I don't think that they have an avenue to get him, but like, I think that there's a lot of teams that really would want him, you know, the, the heat, you know, if they could find an Avenue to get him, you know, maybe they That's think that yeah. maybe they think that it's, he is enough of an upgrade over Tyler hero right now that you're willing to, to bring him in uh, and use up one of your young pieces to, to trade away. He'd be a good Nick. Um, he'd be a good Nick. Although I think the Fournier and Barrett and Kemba, I, I think that their guard rotation is a little bit too locked up right now, but he could be a good Nick. I, I think that there's plenty of teams that are looking for a secondary playmaker. He could, and the Sixers, who knows? Maybe they, maybe they would do it um, for Simmons. I think the Sixers would ask for Covington too, and then something else, you know, finish off the process. But um. I, I really I just know. think Golden State should have Godfather offered for Damian Lillard during this offseason instead of uh, making those picks. Those those picks are looking rough. You know, the the Kuminga one was in between the uh, Kuminga trade was the, the Kuminga picks were in between Giddy and Franz Wagner, who were both looking incredible right now. And then Moses Moody's playing like five minutes a game. Yeah, Moses Moody is playing five minutes a game. Kuminga still is not healthy. The pick before Moody uh, looks really good in Duarte. I mean, he would have been someone who would have immediately helped the Warriors. I mean, uh, he's not Clay Thompson, but he plays a hell of a lot like Clay Thompson and shoots 44% from three. So, I mean, he is, you know, not not as dynamic getting to the rim, but is sort of playing how they had hoped Jordan Poole would look this year in terms of that, you know, off the dribble shooting. Uh, but yeah, the, 
the Warriors are in a tough spot. I'm I'm higher on them than you, I think. Uh, I don't know. Is there a reason you're you where do you see them ending up this season as a first round loss, second round loss? I see them um, losing in the conference finals, probably. But that's okay. Mostly so that's pretty like, good. I, I I just don't know if I don't know. I think there are four or five teams I would have better championship odds than. I I just don't see them as sort of on the same level as the Lakers or a couple teams in the East. So that, that's kind of where I sit. Like I think I would have the Lakers, Nets, Bucks, Heat above them. And I don't know if that's fair. I I got to see what Clay Thompson looks like and it's just tough not knowing that, but uh, it's hard for me to pick them over those teams. And I think that they're sort of top of tier two for me. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm, I'm pretty high on them. I think that they're, you know, I trust the Steph Draymond clay conglomerate. They really haven't lost. The only time they've really lost was 2016. You know, I'm still, remember clay going down in in game six and thinking like they're gonna win this if he stays healthy he was playing incredible once you know durant went down and then they looked like they had a real shot probably the best game he ever played the game he got injured <laughs> right then and they looked like they had a real shot to win that game uh I don't, the lakers are a confusing team to me i worry about their offense they are 13th in offensive rating right now but they also I believe lead the league in pace or second in the league, second in the league in pace behind the Rockets. And so they're, they're getting on transition. They're getting a bunch of, you know, easy buckets and they're still only 13th. Their half court offense hasn't been great. That's, you know, what I've worried about them always. Uh, They're shooting spacing. It's, it's a little ugly. It's a little tough driving lanes, although if Melo's going to shoot like this, who knows? That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, like, but, there's no reason to think that he won't. He's been, like, be getting better and better at shooting and kind of playing that role for the past couple of years in Portland. So I don't think it's crazy to think. But Right. My – Russ, man. I mean, Russ doesn't look good. And, and what you do with him in crunch time while LeBron's also on the floor is, is tough. I mean, the teams just don't – pay attention to him in the corner and he's he hit a couple corner threes against houston i thought last year playing in washington when he had catch and shoot open threes he was actually all right i trusted him to i i liked the fact that he took those shots uh willingly and confidently uh how consistently they go in we'll see i'm not positive my my thing with the lakers is that um the the Mori ball evolution of the NBA uh, sort of meant that once it got down to the playoffs, you were only as good as your weakest player on the floor. You know, when you got down, who are your five? And when you're running this five in crunch time, they're going to set screens and ISO. They're going to set screens until they have their best offensive player ISOed on your worst uh defensive player i mean the rockets warriors game seven was a lot of isoing harden on steph and then on the other way down isoing steph or durant on harden um i think that the lakers fifth best player in most lineups is going to be a lot worse than the other team's fifth best player 
amongst the uh, contending elite. You know, I think that the Heats can run out a lineup of five players, of none of whom you want to ISO against or target. Um, the Bucks, the Nets, even the Warriors, I feel a little. Tough thing is, the tough thing is, like, is not as much Carmelo as I thought it was going to be. That is really the problem. It's really Russ. And I, I don't know how you solve that outside of benching him in crunch time, which we both know is not going to happen most likely. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm at. And <laughs> and at this point, it's like, if you... it, I'm just going to say it makes me very happy to be a Wizards fan because every because because if you're at the point where it's like it looks best to just bench Russ, that simplifies things in crunch time make him a six man make him you know take him off the bench then you would have rather just had buddy healed who is i believe getting up the most three-point attempts in the league tied for uh, tied for tied with steph curry for most attempts in the league per 100 possessions uh or per, and and uh, shooting very well. And so, and the Wizards ended up getting five really good players out of that trade. <laughs> Guys who have been carrying their team so far. Kuzma's been fantastic. We only briefly mentioned the Wizards. Uh, didn't really go into their actual team, but, you know, Kuzma is a guy they got from that trade. He's averaging double digit rebounds. He's been fantastic and hustling and defensively shooting well also. Um KCP has been good. Harrell has been absolutely incredible for the Wizards so far. I mean, just like the violence with which him and Gafford roll to the rim and attack uh, combined with the depth that the team has just means every opponent the Wizards play, no matter the night, no matter who's playing, no matter who's healthy, the opponent's going to have to work really hard and have to be willing to be physical and, and, uh, you know, really shut us down uh, and stop us and, and, the whole trade seems to be a uh, benefiting the Wizards. I mean, even Aaron Holiday has hit some really big shots for them so far. KCP would look so good on that team the way he's playing right now. I mean, it seems like they just took a couple of down years or even down weeks in the case of Kyle Kuzma and just uh, <laughs> lost all hope. I don't know. It right. seems to be a LeBron-driven decision, which uh, does not maybe bode well for his future as a uh, team owner in the style of uh, one, uh, you know, Frank Kaminsky loving Michael Jordan right now. Right. It seems like LeBron is almost like proving a point. Like, oh yeah, I can take Russ and I can take Melo and I can take Trevor Ariza. I can take DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard and all these old vets and show you guys that it's still our league. Show you guys that we still, you know, that we can play this way and win. We don't need to play by your rules and the way that, you know, you know, this new generation is coming in with this spacing and, you know, with fresh legs and, you know, defensive energy, you know, he's, he's, it almost seems like he's trying to prove a point. And, you know, if he wins with this team, it is going to be a massive, if he wins a title with this team, it is going to be a massive championship in his favor with the way this team is constructed with what is being asked of him at this age yep. uh, to do. Uh, on the other end, there's a side where he he may lose the last uh, couple years of his career being, you know, a top five, you know, super elite player uh, to a team that is not built well, not constructed well to support his strengths right now. And yeah. the offense might clunk out and, 
And that's how the last two years of LeBron's, you know, prime go yeah, away. I'm still hoping we get the we get the Brady treatment and he's still a top player well into his 40s. But, you know, I'm not going to bank on that. <laughs> sure. But I think I think even if it is possible, it would have to be the same Brady route of like, OK, I am building the most talented team possibly around me that fits you know, everything I need, I'm going to get an incredible offensive line. I'm going to get the most dynamic receiving core in the NFL. I'm going to get two good running backs. I'm going to get everything. I'm going to get a great defense. I'm going to get everything to support me. Which might still be up in the air with Frank Vogel. I don't know. (laughs) I think Vogel is a good coach, but yeah, sure. The offense. He's a good coach too, but. Yeah. But uh, it's. it's, Is uh, Is he the worst coach to win a championship in our lifetime? Huh. That is a question I am going to need to think about a little bit more, but it is not, it is not impossible. And I think that mainly just shows how uh, good of a coach you need to be. There's a bit of a hot take answer that I have that was worse than him in our lifetime. Uh, I'm not sure how you feel about Doc Rivers. Oh, <laughs> but Doc Rivers and Bud seem like they both could have been, you know, slightly worse than them. But all of those coaches are top decile coaches in the league or top 20 percent coaches in the league, top two decile coaches in the league. Yeah. So even then, none of them are terrible. It's just that, you know, Pat Riley, Popovich, Phil Jackson and Red Auerbach have won like 56% of NBA championships themselves. Like, like the elite, elite coaches matter so much. And, you know, when they get paired with dynastic players, that tends to be a lot of, uh, a lot of wins. Man, we really missed out on uh, LeBron getting a Phil Jackson type, didn't we? Oh, man. His uh, Zen LeBron would have been a whole different beast. <laughs> I don't know. Man, my I, I was not quite uh <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know how i would have liked it if we if the lakers started off like 10 and 14 for a season and phil jackson just started saying you know lebron and his posse need to get their shit together <laughs> like <laughs> i feel like we could have gotten into you know that could have combusted quickly phil jackson yeah maybe not a coach exactly built for the modern era but uh you know, a Phil Jackson type, all right? <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, Don Nelson seems mainly innocent if you uh, aren't sympathetic to Heraldus Vulgaris. <laughs> so that's stonery mindset. <laughs> no, no. I mean, he is, you know. Team Luca for life. Team Luca for life. And I think H-Bob likes Luca. It's just the you know, being an asshole. You don't just get to be an asshole, everyone. Oh, <laughs> uh, you gotta be, you gotta be smarter at least if you're going to be, he's a smart guy, but gotta be smarter if you want to be that much of an asshole. Yeah. Pops managed. Okay. Yeah. And so I had a, to, to close off, cause I know you've, you've got to dip out in a second, but to close off, I was, since we're talking about LeBron, and and the best you know show on television is back i was wondering uh if 
if you think that the NBA is going through its own sort of succession period in terms of LeBron being the face of the league for 15 years, you know, his first finals appearance was 2007. I think it's been at least since 2010 when he joined the Heatles where he has been the face of the league, the, you know, if there's any one face there, he's the guy who represents the league. He's the most important person. He's the biggest TV draw. He's the biggest Steph Jerry media talking points. Um, I think, I think Katie's Jerry, but I, Steph is, <laughs> Steph is like, Steph is like man Pierce somehow. Somehow he's operating in a different, in a different uh, company than LeBron. Um, no, Steph is, uh, who's the guy uh, that Roman bought the soccer team with? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Bill or Frank or something. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm wondering if, if uh, let's say that we're still in an era where one person uh, serves as the face of the league, you know, it's where we haven't moved beyond into a more communist, uh, everyone shares the wealth sort of personality. It's still a very capitalist. We need one guy to market everything around. We need all storylines to revolve around this one guy. Um, who do you think is, is succeeds LeBron? I, I think that there's the candidates are pretty obvious for the most part. It's, you know, it, it depends on when LeBron, you know, much like in succession, it depends on when LeBron actually decides to right, give away the reins. Exactly. Because um, even right now, although it's pretty arguable that he's not the best player in the league anymore, he is still the most important uh, player yeah. to the NBA and, and he has not given up that uh, you know he he's a little intention whore he loves he has not given up that uh <laughs> right and i assume you're talking like sort of the mix of uh fame and skill right right it's it's fame and skill and willingness to be that face and be that guy and i think that's where someone like kevin durant has never really been like why obviously yeah. or Kawhi. yeah it's you know who who wants to be that person it certainly seemed like it was uh, there was a front runner at least last year with uh, Zion sort of making his arrival known, but uh, I don't know. He might not be that guy, pal. <laughs> it seems like that's going to be a tricky road to navigate, but uh, yeah, I hope, I hope it's not just college Zion. I hope it's not just like, oh, you should have seen college Zion. Man, we can, we can only hope, but I, there's gotta be two big front runners, right? Um and neither are american is right is if yeah. i'm correct i i think that's yeah it's fair i mean it's, it's luca and it's Giannis, right i don't know if anyone is even really particularly close close right now maybe uh anthony edwards or Lamelo. i would say are the other two kind of trailing a little bit farther behind john morant even to an extent even though i think memphis just doesn't kind of have that national recognition that he needs but uh sure yeah, and, and memphis needs to Memphis would need to be like championship contender for Ja yeah. to, to reach that level. Uh, I think, I think Luca and Giannis are the two guys. I think Giannis and, and maybe we do have a sort of bird uh, magic thing where it's two guys for, you know, we have the white savior uh, <laughs> with Luca and his Eurocentric uh, squad down in Dallas. Right. And, and then, you know, you have two guys who, I would love to see them play in championships against each other. I'd love to see that become a rivalry. I think that it's pretty 
possible that someone like Jokic is at that level as for as many years on a basketball sense. I don't know if he's the person, you know, I don't know if Denver's a market. I don't know if he's the person who's going to garner the media attention and, and, you know, he's got a sense of humor, but I still don't know if he's, you know, that Hollywood type of personality, maybe slim down Jokic is a new sex symbol that we're not uh, (laughs) quite picking up on yet. Yeah. And as fun as it is, you know, as a hardcore basketball fans to watch, it seems like his game doesn't have that kind of kinetic, like highlight reel sort of, which doesn't make sense because he makes passes that literally should not be possible for a human being to make. And like, it's the game perhaps better than anybody in the league outside of LeBron. But uh, I don't know, you don't see him on the sports center top 10 quite as much as some of the other stars you see in the league, whether it be Luca or Giannis or LaMelo is all over there these days. But uh yeah, I don't right. know. The other only other thing I can really think of, and maybe this is getting a little bit ahead of myself, but uh, did you watch a certain uh, exhibition match of a certain Pacific Northwest college that went down a couple of days ago? I did watch. I watched the highlights of the match. Um, it is that is interesting. You know, I had, that is very interesting, and that is something. That was another thing. I don't know if we'll have time for it, but I did want to talk about the upcoming college basketball season a little let's bit do because it. it is. Yeah, well, let's dig in. It's, it's starting soon. Um, I think so. So there's three teams that are going to be must-watch television this year between Memphis, Gonzaga, and Duke. Yep. And and I I don't know what else to say really besides like I am so into every single one of these games. I think Memphis yep. has the widest range of where they end up. I think Gonzaga and Duke are going to be good no matter what. I think Gonzaga has a chance to be like all time great basketball yeah, team potentially like two two years in a row of being like all time great basketball team, um, and then and then Duke between Paolo and. Yeah, the other guys. Yeah, Griffin. That's that's the guy I was thinking of. Um, you know, and is this is this Coach K's last year or is this Shire's first year? That's a good um, question. I'm not sure. At Duke. Either way, it's going to be just interesting to see what Coach K does in his last year or if it's Shire's first year, what uh he can do with you know the most one and done team. You know, the second most one and done team that Duke has ever had besides right. the RJ and Zion team. Uh, and who knows, maybe these, I mean, Griffin is a monster and Paolo in similar ways to Zion does stuff at his size that we've never seen yep. a player that size do before. And is just going to be like, you know, on the floor with college athletes. I don't think that they're going to be able to handle him. They're not going to know what to do with someone like that. He's just going to overpower a lot of guys um, beyond just like the step backs and the handle and the funky dribbles. Uh, I don't know the, I think all three, and then, and then Memphis, obviously they've got Duran and they've got Bates and they've got a really good supporting cast already. They don't have a point guard and that is why there has a, there's a chance that they just like fall apart. Uh, but there's also a chance that Penny Hardaway is just that good. And defensively, they have been just about the best defensive team in the country for the past three years with Precious anchoring their defense. Um, I forget the name of the guy from last year, but they, yeah. again, had a top five uh, Ken Palm defense in the country, despite not even having that good of a team. What does a talent and a size like Jalen Duran and, you know, Bates seems to be locked in on defense this year if, if he gets more 
motivated and and has better concentration what does what they they could just end up being really good uh I don't know I what, what takes do you have I know you wanted to talk about Shet's uh, exhibition game yeah I I think for me from what I've seen of their high schools and this is the first year that I've really dug into prospects before high school uh, I think Chet kind of stands above the rest for me and Paolo pretty close behind and I think everybody else kind of falls into place behind them wherever they do although AJ Griffin man like AJ Griffin might be might be the number one pick it's tough like his offensive game looks polished and he has enough potential defensively to literally just become a two-way dominating beast I, I just you know the potential with Chet I think is a little bit higher and watching him you know look like a guard at seven foot three once again at another higher level is just incredible and I don't know we'll, we'll see where that goes uh, uh my biggest take is that it kind of sucks that Monty Bates can't get drafted this year and uh I don't know like this Memphis team is going to be really interesting but having that hang over the entire season I think it's going to be weird as shit yeah also just like is Amani just going to go to Ignite after this year? So it seems somewhat likely. Uh, go to China, maybe. <laughs> go to China, go, you know, get paid. I guess it will get paid in Memphis and they have a good infrastructure there. I mean, I'm sure the boosters from Calipari still have their money and <laughs> they were, I'm sure they were, you know, already paying players before, which, you know, obviously <laughs> is cool. But, uh, I think all three of those teams, it's it's going to be very good, fun to see teams not only have really high pros, high level prospects on their team, but should be amongst the best teams in the country uh, as well. And and so we'll get to see these players play in high stakes big games. I mean, Gonzaga's schedule is absurd. They're they've they got start Texas the, coming up. They've got Duke. They've got Alabama. Like <laughs> right, their non conference schedule is you know insane and i am so pumped i'm so excited to see it they've got duke um, thanksgiving week too <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's when all the seasons are coming up i mean the first games are in two weeks correct the first know, ncaa that's games um uh, i feel like they have to be coming out soon the about the 12th about so about 10 days two weeks is when you know the first teams are start playing you know Nichols and central arkansas and the such but uh i think this talk and the talk about uh who dark horses for who the future face of the nba might be lead us to lead us to one place only and that's uh, Victor Wembanyama. Victor Wembanyama. <laughs> that's a fair point. Fuck. Although, I think that he is going to be the best of any of these prospects. Personally, I think you're right, which makes me kind of happy and kind of encourages my high takes on Chet that he was a little bit able to hang with him in that game this past summer. I mean, that was a great game. I think Chet's fantastic, and I think that what the Cavs are doing right now, what, what Mobley looks like. We didn't talk about Mobley. We'll get to rookies. I'm sure at some point, maybe it's good that we waited so that we can see, you know, a little more of Cade. And so we don't, don't just have the one game to go off of him and we can 
maybe talk about him with the other top four guys who have been, you know, doing so well so far, you know, and Giddy, uh, Barnes, uh, Franz. Remember Yama had eight blocks in the championship game for the U19? I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I think that Wembenyana and Chet are and Mobley are this next evolution of hyper athletic, hyper mobile, super long bigs that can be deployed with another center. They can be deployed as, you know, a death lineups five, but it's not small ball five, you know, cause they're seven feet tall. Right. Uh, it's, it's more skinny than, than short. Um, but I think, I think that we are, those three guys are ushering us into an age of center mobility that I am really excited for. And I'm really excited to see um, how other teams do other teams counter that with getting uh, bigger, stronger centers that can punish those guys. Or do we just see the evolution of, of more Steph Curry, Trey young types who are even smaller, even quicker, and even more dynamic to be able to beat those, you know, those type of players off of switches. Probably it'll go both directions, honestly. And I, I think Jalen Duran is almost in that same sort of conversation with those guys that you mentioned. He's probably a step below, but like the athleticism is there. It's really just the polished yeah. game that needs some work. And that's the hardest part, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I wouldn't yeah. ask him to put it together, especially with uh, with Penny and with that sort yeah. of recent history of great Memphis bigs. Well, Wiseman, TBD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's the and that's the thing with uh, Mobley, Chet, and Wemanyama is they all look so polished already. They all have shoot. They all came in with shooting touch. They all came in with passing feel. You know the ability to dribble a little bit, get into some pull ups. I mean, it, all three of them are incredibly unique. I don't think guys that we've really seen in the league. They're not Giannis's where I'm projecting them to just like put on seventy pounds of muscle and look right. like the Hulk and go through guys. And, and they're not really Anthony Davis either who are, and those are the two, you know, current um, mobile long small ball fives, you know, who well, you think would be best and bad. KD, KD kind of, kind of fits, which KD is kind of fits. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, if the league does kind of go in the direction that we're predicting that it might go, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how people talk about his influence on the game in the years to come, because like, you know, LeBron's game was never really replicable, but uh, certainly Katie and Dirk might've, might've done something. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, and, and Jokic is in the Dirk mold so yeah. much. I think that, you know, it'd be very interesting to go back and see if Oklahoma city just focused on putting muscle on Katie's frame and, you know, he started off his rookie year as a two guard, you know, <laughs> if they tried to get him minutes at the five, you know, what, what's it going to look like for these guys who are immediately getting minutes at the five, getting minutes at small ball four, instead of being ushered into these, you know, two guard roles. Right. And I, I don't know enough about sports science, obviously, but I, I would imagine that it's a little bit tougher on your knees and your ankles long-term to be playing two or playing three then if you're playing big have to be a little bit less mobile on defense have to run a little bit less and uh well anthony davis certainly seems to believe that playing five is much tougher than playing four but <laughs> oh man hey i wouldn't want to guard Jokic 50 possessions a game either i mean valanchunas those those kind of guys yeah 
I mean, I remember like Andre Drummond or uh, yeah, Boogie back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching an interview with Boogie. Uh, I believe it was you know Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons doing it back at Grantland, and they were just like Boogie was like, "Yeah, man, every time I go to Memphis and I have to play Zach Randolph and Marcus Soul for forty eight minutes, I feel like shit the next day. I hate it. I don't want to do it anymore." <laughs> and I, you know, I totally get that. I am doesn't sound fun. Yeah does not sound fun but you know a lot of those big guys do struggle with length and so it'll be interesting to see it'll be interesting to see what Mobley and Mobley and them do for many years to come oh man I like the Cavs would love to see the Cavs in a play in this year that's how I'll end this that's how you're in this I'll say that I'd love to see the Wizards (laughs) hey uh, you might be able to shoot a little higher than that (laughs) In the seven seed, we'll see. <laughs> Any? Oh. Wow, that's good. Uh, I don't know. I'll rip to Pat Williams. Uh, the Chicago Bulls still think are going to be really good. Me too. But Zach Levine looks like he might have taken another leap, even though the stats might not show it. Yeah. I don't but know. Also ripped to me uh, keeping Pat Williams instead of Fred Van Vliet on my fantasy dynasty team. I mean, that, may, that might pay out. I feel we'll like I feel like uh, Florida State has a pretty good hit rate for wings. Mm, and so it might just work out that way. Pop better hope so. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're so odd, man, because they really do have all guys drafted between like 10 and 20 who are all really good for that spot, but none of them are like stars. I mean, they've got Keldon, Vassell, Derek White, DeJounte. And it's just like, what do you do from here? Is Keldon the best of them so far, you think? I think think DeJounte is better right now than Keldon, but- That's fair. No, that's definitely true. We'll we'll see. I think DeJounte's defense is like, it's it's so I think it's so valuable. I think it's like true holiday level. Like you know, you can take a guy out of it. Like being able to take a guy out of a game like that is super super impressive. He turns it into offense so well too. And he, I mean, I don't know if this is just anecdotal from watching you know a couple games against the Wizards, but every time he plays the Wizards, he has this walk in 